WMEX Quincy Boston, streaming at WMEXBoston.com. And on your smart speaker, just say, play WMEX. The greatest hits of all time are back. This is the all-new WMEX. WMEX Boston. They singing all night, drinking wine, spooty, ooty, drinking wine. Wine, spooty, ooty, drinking wine. That's right, kids. It's time once again for Wine by Design with Len on 1510. Len is a certified wine educator with over 30 years in the wine industry and a database of knowledge in the wine that you will never find anywhere else. Your questions at 781-834-9639, WMEXBoston at gmail.com. Without further ado, your host, Len Prasuti. Well, thank you, Ben, and welcome, everyone. In addition to the phone number, I just wanted to mention that you can also email questions to me, lenwmex at gmail.com or lenwmex at gmail.com. And don't forget to search for past episodes. We have podcasts up at wmexboston.com, or you can search Wine by Design on your favorite platform. So we're going to start the way we've been doing every week now with a listener question. Man, great, great questions. Um, the first, This one for this week is Jake from Reading, Massachusetts, asks, how long does a wine need to breathe? Wow, that is a loaded question, and it's going to take a bit to answer it. But the, the short answer right in the beginning before we get into perhaps some of the minutiae is Virtually every red wine benefits from at least an hour in a decanter. I prefer a ship's decanter. They have this wide, flat bottom. It's It actually came about because they used them on ships. The ships had rails around the uh, dining room table because as the waves swelled and ebbed, um, the table would move and the railing would catch dishes and the decanter uh, before it could go off the side of the table. But for that reason, it was really long, wide and flat and it exposes the wine to a tremendous amount of air in a very short period of time. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in that, there is one called Le Chateau that's super sturdy We've been using it at my house for years. It runs about $60, but it's kind of a lifetime investment. Make a great Christmas or Hanukkah present, too. But let's get into this a little bit more. Let's talk about why, how, and when you're going to have to give this wine some air. have to start by saying, full uh, disclosure, it is a bit controversial. There are actually some winemakers that say, it doesn't do anything to the wine, that it can't change the chemical composition of the wine. Wow, I could not disagree more. And I think just about everyone's had that experience where that last glass of wine, you know, you're at dinner and you're dining out in a beautiful place and they have the wine in the decanter, that last glass always tastes better than all the glasses before it. So, why can't we make the wine taste that good right from the beginning? Well, anyway, 
The reason that we decant is it exposes the wine to oxygen and oxygen softens the tannins of the wine. Uh, it tends to have happen faster with the older bottles as the wine ages. Uh, the tannins form these longer chains and fall out into a sediment. And that's why you have to decant the wine when it gets older. But as that aging process takes place, you don't have to give it quite as much air. One of the things I did want to mention very quickly here, because it does come into play, Wines that are meant to be drunk young, you don't have to worry about. Just toss them in the decanter. They haven't thrown any sediment or anything like that. But if you have a wine that's a serious wine that's meant to be aged for a long time, you have to be a little careful in that. Those big wines tend to show really well for the first year or two. And then they can slide into this thing that we often refer to as a dumb stage or a dormant stage. Now, that can happen anywhere from two to 10 years. Um, and when they're in this stage, even with a lot of air, sometimes they won't come around. Now, I just mentioned that to you because it is a factor, especially with the big wines of the Rhone and some of the really big, very expensive Bordeaux. So you do have to take that into consideration. We're going to give you all the different ways of looking at this and, and how you should make a decision about decanting your wine. But I just want to say up front, my God, is it worth it? There's something when you get it just right that is so special. And the neat thing is it doesn't cost you any extra money. You just need to have a little bit of time and start the whole process a little bit earlier. So first thing we have to do is expose the wine to air. So you have to pull the cork. Now, if you just do that, the amount of wine exposed to air is so small. It's like the area of a dime. It doesn't do anything. It would take forever for the wine to come around. Um, if you're not in a decanting mood or if you don't happen to have a decanter, one of the things that we often do is pour wine into glasses uh, set at the table an hour before we sit down to dinner. Now, that accomplishes two things. The wine in the glass has a lot more air being exposed to it, and it comes around really fast. On top of that, the air's now gotten into the thick part of the bottle, and there's less wine in there. So you get that interaction with the, um, with the wine in the bottle as well as in the glasses. But the very best way is to decant. We almost always use a ship's decanter. Sometimes for very old wines, you can use the traditional more up and down decanters, but we like the ones that give you that biggest air um, exposure as, as fast as you possibly can. So how much air in terms of the amount of time? With older wine, they still need a ton of air. I really want to emphasize that because there's this thought out in the public there that you have to be careful about decanting older wine too far in advance. I can't tell you how often I've heard people say, you know, this is old wine, uh, drink up, it could turn to vinegar in your glass. And I had a really interesting experience with that, with a really old wine. I was putting on a wine tasting, 
There were about 50 people that attended it. And the centerpiece of the tasting was a 1928 Rioja Reserva, the Marquis de Marietta Distillery Guy Grand Reserva. Phenomenal, phenomenal wine. It was hand carried to the tasting by a gentleman that worked for the Marquis de Marietta. Come to find out later, he had just been working for them for a couple months, so he didn't know how to handle older wine. As I mentioned, he cautioned everyone, well, this is old wine, drink it up very quickly, you could turn to vinegar in your glass. So everyone did that, except for me. I'm always trying to learn new things, and I'm saying to myself, I tasted the wine, it wasn't great. Um, there was a little bit too much acidity for the fruit. The tannins weren't showing uh, the, the way they should. They were a little harsh. And I'm saying to myself, you know, the wine's not that great now. If it turns to vinegar, I want to see when it turns to vinegar and what that vinegar tastes like. So I go back to the glass. About a half hour later, there were some other things going on, some other discussions, and tasted the wine. My God. It had totally transformed. This mocha fruit just came pouring out of it to the point where now the acidity is in perfect balance. The tannins had joined with the oxygen and softened, so they weren't a factor. The wine was phenomenal. And one of the greatest old red wine drinking experiences I've ever had in my life. So... Be careful. You know, we're going to talk about giving wine more air than you might think. I had a 1982 Lynchbosch uh, very recently that took a full three hours to kind of open up in the glass. Uh, but there's there are always those people that are going to think that. But again, always try giving it a little more air, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Now, when you're trying to figure out how much air to give the wine, take advantage of your friends and the wine community around you. You now have a wine community in this show. You have the WMEX Wine by Design wine community. So if you have a question about, jeez, uh, you know, somebody gave me a Barolo or somebody gave me a Brunello, um, and it's 10 years old, I haven't dealt with it that much, give me a ring or an email and we'll help you through that. If I haven't had recent experience with that wine, I know a ton of people and I know which wines they tend to gravitate to. So I can kind of find out what's going on there. I do that myself. And it really is interesting. It, it came home to me how valuable the input from friends is when um, I actually bought a, a case of 2012 Echo de Lynchbage with a friend and former co-worker, John Romano. Uh, by the way, John and his son, Jake, are really avid listeners to the show. So we bought it when it was you know, first released. So it was really tight. And I didn't open a bottle at, uh, at all, but John, God bless him, did. And it's kind of tough when you're just experimenting for a wine for the first time. John's one of the few people I know that 
pays as much attention to this aeration as I do because he's had those phenomenal experiences that we wouldn't have had if you didn't pay attention to it. I got a text from him saying, I just opened a bottle of that 2012 uh, Echo to Lynch Bosch, and you know something? It took six full hours to open, but it did, and it was really great then. So the next day, I knew to decant it way in advance of our dinner. And not that I didn't trust John, but I'm tasting it, you know, around that four or five hour, even the five and a half hour mark, it was still pretty tight. Lo and behold, when the six o'clock or the sixth hour came, the wine just blossomed and was absolutely fantastic. So you want to take advantage of, again, the people around you. There are a lot of us that have had a lot of experience with the aeration of wine and have a pretty good idea of how much it is going to take. But as I keep mentioning, the end result is really, really worth it. It's super dramatic difference. That really came home to me once when I was putting on a tasting for an extremely wealthy individual. My marching orders were, money is no object. I only want the best. So he was interested in Italian wine, and I happened to lay hands on this 1997 Barolo Reserva that was hundreds and hundreds of dollars a bottle upon release. And it was about eight or 10 years old at, the, at that point when we did the tasting. So knowing that Barolos need tremendous amounts of air, by the way, that's true. Barolo actually needs more aeration than any other wine that I've uh, ever aerated. So I decanted the wine three hours before the tasting started. We were two hours into the tasting when we hit the Barolo. Now, the wine showed nothing. It was like an iron curtain had dropped over the wine. I mean, no fruit at all. It showed so poorly. And now we're talking after five hours of air here that we had some of the top tasters of the entire corporation there uh, to take part in this with this gentleman. And it was so bad, nobody even wanted to take it home. But I did. Didn't put any kind of uh, wine preservation mechanism to work here, no vineyard fresh or anything like that. Just put a cork in it, left it for three days in my cellar, at which point I pulled it out and had a glass. And it is still to this day one of the best Barolos I've ever had in my entire lifetime. So uh, never overlook the fact that if your wine's not showing great, there could be other things at play, but there's a decent chance that it might be that it hasn't had enough air. And again, wanted to make sure that everyone knows they have a resource in the Wine by Design show. I answer each and every email personally, and uh, I just love doing it. I, I, I enjoy the interaction with all of you listeners out there. 
The next thing I wanted to talk about a little bit, since we're within the 12 days of Christmas here, and actually the last day of Hanukkah, are some different gifts that you might want to think of giving uh, the wine lover in your life. One of the first things I always think of is corkscrews. Now, there is an electric corkscrew out there that is pretty good. Um, it has an open worm, which is the curly part of the corkscrew that goes into the cork. Never buy a corkscrew with a solid worm. But it, uh, it actually works fairly well. Um, it comes with a foil cutter and all that. It's around $30. If you have someone that has everything else, you might want to consider giving it to them. I'm old school. I really like, uh, you know, putting the, the corkscrew in the, in the cork myself and, and pulling it out and observing the whole process. For me, it's part of the whole thing. There is a very inexpensive one out there that I use on a daily basis called the Haiku. Um, it's a waiter's corkscrew. It's a, a two-stage corkscrew, so it's really easy to get out, really hard to extract corks. And I've had mine forever. I, it's hard to believe for $15 that you have something so reliable. If you want to take a little step up, there's another one of that same style called the, the Coutel. It's C-O-U-T-A-L-E, sommelier, prestige. And that's made of rosewood. It is drop-dead gorgeous. And it's $40. So it's not a ton of money. But if you really want to go upper end and you owe someone a really big gift, there are corkscrews out there that are truly works of art. The very, very best one is Lyol. It's weird. It doesn't, uh, it isn't spelled the way it sounds. It's L-A-G-U-I-O-L-E. And they do a sommelier series that is gorgeous. You can get solid horn, olive wood. There's this amaret that is this precious wood from South America that's drop-dead beautiful. They are expensive, however. They run in that $150 all the way up to $300 range, but there's a lifetime warranty on them. They're absolutely handcrafted. Uh, just great, great works of art. One of the kind of stocking stuffer things that um, I'm never without is a foil cutter. I hate cutting the foils because they can be really tough, especially, believe it or not, some of the plastic ones. And rather than having to you know, circle around with a knife and all that, I mean, I've done my share of that too. The foil cutter, you just press it in against the uh, foil and turn it and the foil, the top of the foil comes right off. There is a super one that's done by the wine enthusiast. I believe it is their brand. It has six blades in it, and it's all chrome. It makes a beautiful presentation. It's about $20, but man, they really last forever. If it's a true stocking stuffer and you don't want to spend much money, there are some little plastic ones that work super well. I use a lot of them uh, very often myself because we have several of them all over the place. But the best value is one called 
YWO. It's a plastic foil cutter. When you get two of them for $8 and they work super, super well. If you do want to go upper end, La Crusette does one for 35 that's a lot prettier and All Clad does one too. But you know something? They don't work any better than the, than the ones I just mentioned. I believe it was last week we talked about glassware. And man, that makes a tremendous gift for your wine lover, uh, especially if you know what wines they typically drink. Because Riedel does do those grape-specific glasses. And I've mentioned it several times, but I truly, truly believe it in that we have them at my house. They enhance the drinking experience so much that they can take a $20 bottle and make it taste like a $45 bottle. The ones that we use that are kind of the middle of the road, they're not their most expensive or their most inexpensive, is the Venom, V-I-E. N-U-M series. They're around $25 or $30 a glass, but my God, are they worth it. Um, there are a lot of different decanters out, of, out there too that make a wonderful gift. I mentioned that Le Chateau uh, for $60, but there are all these different designs. Sometimes they're kind of curly Q and all that. It's kind of fun if you want to display it. But it's tough when you want to use it because they are very difficult to clean and they do stain. Another stocking stuffer, however, that can be really useful and a lot of fun are wine charms. And they're things that you just put around the uh, stem of your wine glass. They're all different so that you know which glass is yours. And they come in all kinds of different themes, you know, butterflies, birds, um, a Christmas themes. Uh, it, it's really great. And that's a fun thing for people because you can never have enough of those because you're always losing them. But they're about 10 to $20 in that range. So uh, that's something that you literally can put in the stocking. Wine preservation system. We've talked about those, I believe, in the past. There is the Cordovan out there that is state-of-the-art. It's a needle that goes down into the wine cork without pulling the cork, without opening it. And it allows you to pour a glass of wine while the wine's coming out via this contraption. It's being replaced in the bottle by argon gas. And it allows you to taste the wine and hold on to it for years and years. I talked to the gentleman that um, actually devised this whole thing, and he didn't experiment with a bottle for nine years, and he said it, it, uh, it was just absolutely perfect. At $175, though, it should be. But there are inexpensive ones that work extremely well, too. One of my favorites is... Vineyard Fresh, which is this argon gas in a can, and you just put a couple little squirts of it. It's heavier than air. It goes to the bottom of the, uh, you know, down covering the wine so that it's no longer exposed to air. And I've had tremendous luck with actually young wines, you know, long term use of that. I've had one in a refrigerator that actually lasted a year. And for $15, you can preserve, I think it's around 40 different bottles. 
But the other way to go, and the one that we used before the uh, Vineyard Fresh became available, was something called a vacuvan. It's this pump with these four little rubber stoppers, or you could get different amounts of rubber stoppers, where you pump the air out of the bottle. And those are really kind of cool in that you get a full week, they say 10 days, weeks reliable and 10 days definitely uh, a doable there. And they're only between 15 and $25. So they're a, a really, really great uh, investment. Last thing I'm going to mention is there are a few wine books out there. If you wanted to get someone that's just kind of getting into wine, is very interested in it, would like to know a bit more, there's the Kevin Zraeli Complete Wine Course, Windows on the World. And that is phenomenal. Um, it's been around for at least 30 years. He keeps updating it. The only thing I could mention about it is it's almost gotten a little too good for beginners. There's so much information in it, but he presents it in such an entertaining way that it's really fun to read and covers just about everything imaginable. I did mention before, bears repeating, the Oxford Companion to Wine, which is a wine library in a single volume book. It's a tome, a really, really thick book. But that was just updated um, literally within the past two months or so. And I did get a, the new copy of it. They really went through everything and updated it all. And they have the world's foremost experts in every field writing for them. I can't uh, recommend that one highly enough. That's about $65, but is it worth it? And especially where it's just been revised. The other one is the Hugh Johnson World Atlas of Wine. It, now, it's in its eighth edition. It could probably do an updating. It's around $65, too. But it shows you all the different vineyards of the world in incredible detail. I mean, almost down to the vine. The first time I went to Burgundy, I actually used it to find where the Domaine de la Romanicanti vineyard was because they didn't mark it. I think they back then, you, they do now, but they were afraid people would, you know, go in and take grapes from it or uh, or something of that sort. So that one is, again, a really, really great way to go for um, a, a book for, for Christmas. Now, where I wanted to pick up just a little bit, and we're not going to have a whole lot of time for it, but is we're going to continue in the how to taste uh, portion, which is incredibly important because that's how you get all of your information. Now, we went through the beginning of the visual where I talked about the color changes that happened and why they happened and all that. I wanted to mention that there is this INAO tasting glass that is a glass gave, uh, made to government standards that's meant to judge wine with. And it's a beautiful glass. It's only about seven inches high, holds about six ounces. Um, and you can get them for around four or five dollars a glass. But they're a really great way to assess the wine. And just a little bit of an inside uh, information here that most people don't know. The proper way to hold that glass is by the base with your 
first finger curled around and the base on that and your thumb holding it. Seems like it might be a little awkward, but one of the reasons for that is when you tilt the glass to the 45 degree angle over the white background, your skin color is as far removed as possible so that it isn't reflected in the color of the wine. So going back into that whole visual examination, there are a couple things that you want to examine the wine for. We talked about the different colors, which is hue. Now, hue is the specific color of the wine. Um, that varies from intensity in that I always like to think of it as hue is like the actual crayon. So it, the color of the crayon doesn't change. But if you do the crayon lightly over a white background, the intensity is not great. But as you keep bearing down, it gets deeper and deeper, the intensity of it. Um, the hue, as I mentioned, the 45 degree angle over the white background, the intensity you get by looking straight down the glass from above. And you can tell how much of the color concentration is there. You know, can you see through it? Is it lighter? Um, you want to make sure there's the same amount of wine in all the gla uh, glasses because that can affect that. The other thing that people look at is the clarity of the wine, holding it up to the light. Doesn't make so much difference now because the unfined or filtered wines very often are a little cloudy, but that could actually be a good thing. In the past, it used to be uh, a problem with vinegar forming in the wine. The one last thing I wanted to mention about visual, because this question comes up all the time, is about the legs or tears. You know, when you swirl that glass of wine, it, after a bit of time, forms these rivers that kind of come down the glass. And people always talk about looking at the legs of the uh, wine. I'm here to tell you that in a dry wine, that's only an indication of alcoholic strength. It has to do with the fact that water has cohesive properties. So if you pour it over the top of the glass, it'll actually hold together before it goes over the glass. Alcohol negates the cohesive properties of the water so that when you swirl the wine with the alcohol in it, it takes a while, but after the alcohol evaporates, then you see the legs forming. And that is the how long they take to form and how strong they are is an indication of alcoholic strength. Uh, that meant a lot more way back when, when they were assessing these wines and they didn't know what was going on in the vineyards. We have such great communication with the vineyard people that we know what condition the vintage was before their grapes were even pressed. But that was a way of telling, oh, good alcohol, ripe grapes, good vintage. The next part is going into the smell or what they say is the olfactory examination. That is by far the most important part of tasting because all of your specific sense of flavor comes from your sense of smell. That's the way you tell the cherry from the raspberry from the strawberry. The tongue just does sweet, bitter, salty, um, sour and umami, which is this savory uh, kind of thing. But all that specific, the way you tell fruits from one another comes from your sense of smell. And the way you want to do it is give the glass a big swirl 
so you kind of aerate it so that you can smell well. Do a quick double sniff and then put the glass down. The reason for that is if you continually smell the wine, you're going to desensitize your nose to the specific flavors and aromas contained within the nose. I always refer to it as the freshly painted room syndrome. You know, when you walk into a freshly painted room, it's like, oh my God, I can't stand the smell. But then five or 10, 10 minutes later, your nose becomes accustomed to it and you don't even notice it. But we are going to finish this the next time we meet because I, I don't want to rush through the tasting aspect. Um, that's going to be it for this week. And as always, please, please feel free to contact me with any questions that you might have via email with, uh, you know, lenwmex at gmail.com, lenwmex at gmail.com, or don't forget also to listen to the podcast, which are posted at wmexboston.com, or you can search Wine by Design on your favorite platform. Thank you very much, as always, Len. Looking forward to next time around. Fridays just don't come around fast enough anymore. But thank you, as always, my friend. And we'll catch you next week. Same time, same bad channel, here at 6 o'clock on WMEX.